You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I am your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, are we going to be doing any uh, resting protocols for all these uh, all these podcasts coming up, or are you right to go all the way through? I'm not sure. Doubleheader on a Wednesday. Seems, <laughs> seems like a lot to me. And when you consider the NBA is coming back as well, and there's going to be some early games, some day games through there, there's going to be a serious lack of sleep. I might need to... Uh, I might need to give myself a day off. I'm not sure. We'll, I guess we'll take it as it comes. I think that's what most teams are saying. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. We'll just, just see how we pull up, see how uh, the, the bumps and the knocks, uh, how, how much you cop those during this podcast. I know it's a pretty contact sport, so we'll, we'll, see, how, <laughs> we'll see how you pull up. Yeah, could could sore, sore throat, sore yep. voice. I mean, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what the, the protocols are going to be for us, but I thought it was worth talking about the resting, as you sort of said, because there's been a lot of talk around this, and to me... It seems very obvious what a team might do, but I'm interested to bounce this off you and see what you think. Uh, I've seen a number of different suggestions, whether it's rest guys against a team that you think you're going to beat anyway, whether it's play guys. So the example that Jared Whaley's given a couple times on 360 is resting Dangerfield in the forward line for a game and saying, you're playing full forward for the whole game. Uh, this is how we're going to get you a little bit of, uh, you know, air quotes, rest, even though you're still playing a game. Now, the one thing I'll, I'll push back on that is the fact that if you're Geelong and you have Patrick Dangerfield playing full forward and then the game's pretty close, uh, are you going to stick to that or are you going to go for the four points? I'd suggest you're probably going to go for the four points. So I think going in that with good intentions, it wouldn't work out. But what, what would you be doing? How would you be attacking this? Well, I, I think you've got to be guided by the training staff and, and the medical staff in terms of yeah, load and that sort of thing, which is all, all monitored through training, through you know, what they do in preseason, through you know, tr- distance traveled in games. You can't really account for uh, contact and, and bumps and bruises and that sort of thing. I think I would be pretty against the wholesale, let's drop 10 blokes out for a game against Adelaide or a game against North Melbourne at the moment because... Yeah, as we've talked about all the time, you know, this is a 17-game season. A loss here or there is uh, is dangerous. And you know, Adelaide, what they were got to win the two goals of St Kilda the other night. And if Saint if the Saints had eight or nine guys out of that team, uh, they would have got done. And I think you could say the same for, for North Melbourne, who beat GWS early this season. Like stuff can happen, and you miss one of those games while everyone else picks those up around you. I think it's pretty risky. I think managing loads through training uh, and doing some of that Dangerfield stuff, which you know, we saw Fife do it with his hamstring injury. Uh, Longmuir didn't put him back in the middle, but just reducing that, you know, instead of a 10K, 12K load, put him at six or seven and try and reduce some in-game in-game resting or, or management is probably the way that I'd look to do it. And if players have some soreness, then you do ha- you have no hesitation in sitting in that one game, but I wouldn't be going, well, this is the game where we're just giving up this game or we think we can win without eight blokes because almost invariably it's going to bite you in the ass, I think. Yeah, I agree that it will bite you in the ass. The only thing I'll say about the, the Fife situation, it's not like that was a, a choice, and that's no, why wasn't. I think it's not going to work. I mean, he physically couldn't play in the midfield, and we saw that. He's missing maybe three weeks, they're saying, 
Now, uh, with this game, I mean, the Dockers have an eight-day break. He didn't play last week against West Coast. He's still not going to get up for this week's game uh, on Monday. So, I mean, significant damage there. And uh, I guess looking back, you have to tip your hat to him for being able to play out that game and still kick a couple of goals. But, uh, look, the way I would be doing it, I agree. I wouldn't be resting all your players against the lower team because I think you're asking for trouble in that situation. I would I would go the, the wholesale rest situation if, if it's me. And I know you can sit there and say, well... Throwing away four points, which in theory, that's what you're doing. Of course, anything can happen. But I think that rather than trying to spread the rest over the weeks, because I just don't think you can ask, and I don't think you want to risk playing your best players in the middle of the season if you're a team that's hoping to play into the finals uh, for three consecutive four-day breaks or, three, or you know, four days, five days, four days. I just don't think it's smart. And we've seen a lot of injuries this season. They're going to have to have a game off. So I think you pick a game that you think is going to be really difficult to win anyway. And then you say, okay, we're going to turn this four-day break into a 10-day break for these guys. They're going to get some time off here, and they're going to come back fresh. And the team I'm looking at is Richmond. Now, we know that they've been decimated by injuries right through the season anyway, and, and personal reasons why uh, guys haven't been in the hub or haven't gone to the hub just yet. But if I look at their four-week block, so they've got the Bulldogs, uh, and then Brisbane, and then Port Adelaide, and then the Gold Coast. The breaks between their games actually aren't too bad. So it's a Wednesday rolling into a Tuesday, rolling into a Saturday, which is the short one, and then it rolls into a Monday, so an extended uh, rest there. So if I'm Richmond, I'm looking at that third game against Port Adelaide. It's at Adelaide Oval. We know Port are, are a great team. Richmond's really poised and put themselves in a good situation. I think if you can win three or four, three out of four games, you're in good stead. The Doggies, the Lions, and the Suns are the other three games. Difficult challenge. But based on the four-day break, if I'm Richmond, I'm identifying that game against Port Adelaide with travel and saying, stuff that. Boys, you can you can hang up in the in the Gold Coast for a little bit longer in Noosa. Stay up there. Don't even bother coming down. Uh, we're going to give it a crack. We're going to try and win. But for your uh, body, for your well-being this season, we need you to focus on the, the extended break, the 10-day break that you're going to get and look at the Suns in a week's time. What if they lose to the Bulldogs and Brisbane in the in the two games before that? Well, maybe, but what if they play on a four-day break with travel and then you, you, you're desperately trying to win this game and then you, you come out with six injuries? Because the Tigers, for me, can afford to, to lose a couple of games. It's not going to affect them making the finals. I think that's the, the, the risk you have to take. I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it can go uh, pear-shaped pretty quickly with these four-day breaks. We've seen it. If you, we've seen it multiple times. If you lose three in a row, though, look, then how then the finals become a little bit more of a shaky proposition. If you lose to the Bulldogs, then lose to the Lions, and then go to Port Adelaide with a half-strength team and lose that one. Like three in a row, then that, that pressure then gets ramped up and you have lost those three games and you could move from fourth down to 10th really quickly in, in that scenario or, or even lower. So I think that, again, I, it, I, I wouldn't want to do it. Hey. The Tigers aren't losing to the Bulldogs, Josh. Come we'll, on, we'll mate. <laughs> they, hey, they did last year. <laughs> well, it worked out well for him. In that case, <laughs> it did. So. It worked out well. But let's talk about the Bulldogs because there is a game coming up tonight up against the Gold Coast Suns. The Bulldogs uh, are going to be without Lockie Hunter, who's taking some time away for the from the game. For uh, his own personal health, uh, Bailey Dale's out while Billy Gowers and another debutante for the Bulldogs, Callum Porter, comes in, uh, a, a midfielder. We'll talk a little bit more about him uh, in a segment two of this show. Gold Coast goes in unchanged. What are you looking at in this one? What's the what's the, what's the matchup or what's the thing that you think is going to decide this contest? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because I love the way the Gold Coast were able to bounce back. I identified uh, last week that there was a real opportunity for them against Sydney to take advantage of an undermanned midfield. 
yes, the doggies are going to lose Lockie Hunter here. And I thought he's been actually pretty good the last couple of weeks since returning. But they're still, it's a different proposition when I look at the Bulldogs and I look at Bailey Smith and Bont and, uh, and these guys that are in there. So for me, again, it's the midfield battle. We always speak about it with the Suns. The guys that have been in there and the guys that have been monsters, even without Matt Rowe, Hugh Greenwood, again, is just a, he's a clearance monster. He's a contested footy uh, guy. Does he stand next to Bont tonight? I mean, is, I think is he has that, to. Yeah, so you are you are expecting that matchup? Yeah, I think so. I think, he, uh, look, it's either going to be Bont or McRae, but I think just getting yeah. him in there with that bigger body for the contested ball stuff, I, I think he has to get in there. Well, I like it. I like the matchup with Greenwood on Bont because it, it doesn't seem fabricated. I mean, we spoke about the game against GWS a few weeks ago where the, the intimidation, the physicality, it all seemed fabricated by the Giants. They went in and planned to do it. I mean, Hugh Greenwood just plays that way. So yeah. you know if he's standing next to you, you're in for a, a pretty tough night. So, And we know Bont the last couple of weeks has been really starting to get rolling. You spoke about his efficiency going into the 50s. So what about you? What are you looking at? This doggies team, it's unbelievable. They're, they're winning. I mean, their form's been up and down a little bit. Mostly the last month or so, they've looked like they're playing a winning style of footy, though. They're playing attacking outside of that one game against Carlton. But Beveridge just, uh, you know, sometimes it's forced, but he's proven that he's not afraid to to change his team up. Yeah, well, this week it was forced with both of those outs. But the interesting thing to me is both of these teams uh, average 79 games played. So equally inexperienced, the same average age group. The Bulldogs have 11 players who have played under 50 games. That's half a team. Gold Coast yeah. has 10 guys. There is no one uh, that's played 200 games for either team. This, these are the two, uh, maybe Fremantle, two of the three, at least two of the three youngest teams in the competition. And there's going to be players uh, from the Bulldogs team that are going to be playing some significant roles with Hunter uh, out. Guys like Latham Vandermeer is probably going to push up into the midfield a little bit. You'll see a little bit of Porter in there. So we talk about Gold Coast as a young and up and coming team, but the experience and age is identical across the board. Yeah, the doggies. I mean, they're, they're a lot younger than you think. It's funny to compare the team now compared to the team that won the flag. It's completely different. Another thing to look for tonight is the weather. It's going to be really, really wet. Yep. It's funny. We've seen these games in Perth and we've seen these games uh, on the Gold Coast and they've been slippery and a little bit dewy. Rain's been around. So not the conditions I guess these teams would have been hoping for. But what do you think about when you think about the doggies and rain? You think about that game two weeks ago yeah. against Carlton. More disposals than the Blues in that game, the kick-to-handball ratio, when you look at the two teams, the Doggies, 168 kicks, 138 handballs, only plus 30. Carlton, 201 kicks, 94 handballs, plus 107 kicks to handballs. The Doggies need to... We'll see whether they learn a lesson. We know they play a heavy handball game. If it's going to be wet and really, really slippery as they're expecting... Get the ball on the foot. You've got to change it up a little bit. I think they'll learn from it because that first quarter against Carlton, they didn't. But quarters two and three, the Bulldogs had the ball and dominated the game and possession. They just couldn't yeah. really convert it. And then the game got away in the last you know, 10 minutes or so and Carlton pulled on about five goals there in that fourth quarter. But really... When they did sort of switch into wet weather style, they did dominate the ball through the second and third quarter. So I think they'll learn that lesson and have that contrast versus quarter one and then quarter two and three. And this is what we've got to do. So I don't think that the weather will be that much of an impact given that they were given that lesson a couple of weeks ago to be able to to adjust to that. And if we don't see that change, and you talk about the the kick handball differential, that's just how the teams play as well. Carlton's a big, almost a two to one kick handball team. The Bulldogs 
normally like a 1.3, 1.2 kick to handball ratio. So it sort of fitted uh, along that. It wasn't like Carlton just went, well, we're going to just completely change what we do because they do that anyway, regardless of if it's wet or dry. But I think that we saw the Bulldogs switch gears midway in that game and I expect them to come out with that similar mindset with that reminder from only a couple of weeks or one and a half, 10 days ago pretty much in their mind of what they did wrong and what they need to do right. Well, we can speculate. There's no doubt about that. We could probably bang on about this game for a while. I think it's going to be fantastic. But I know yesterday you caught up with Bulldog star Easton Wood, maybe it's time to throw to this conversation. Yeah, I did. Uh, Easton came on, uh, came on the the podcast, had a bit of a chat with him. So uh, let's let's go to that now. I'm joined now by Easton Wood of the Western Bulldogs. Easton, welcome to Locked On AFL. Hey, hey Josh, thanks for having me, man. Now, a couple of questions, or well, plenty of questions for you, but it's good to good to have you on here. You are located up on the Gold Coast uh, after that big win. On Friday night, but you uh, you take on now the hometown Gold Coast Suns. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday. It's going out on Thursday, so it'll be tonight when people are listening to this. The Suns, it's their first first primetime game, first night game. They've been exclusively a Saturday Sunday game all through their all through their existence. So, as a player, do these marquee type engagements, where the whole eyes of the footy world are watching you, does that change things for players, especially if it's the first time ex- experiencing it? Um, yeah, look, it is always great to play um, in prime time on the on the big stage. So um, it's hard to quantify exactly what difference that does make, and you know it can go it can go both ways um, in terms of whether it becomes you know you're excited about it or depending on your mindset, it can become a bit of a burden. But um, you know, I always look forward to to playing on in those in those time slots myself. Um, but you know, in, in terms of having a, a huge impact, it is just uh, another game, so it's not doesn't actually make uh, a huge difference. Well, speaking of players who are looking to play their first game, the Western Bulldogs are debuting another player. Cal Porter is uh, is said to make his first AFL appearance after being drafted a couple of years ago. We had Cody Waitman last week. So, what can you tell us about Porter for his uh, AFL debut coming up? Oh, so wrapped for Ports to, to get an opportunity. He's one of those guys that is just so so well loved amongst the group. He's he's such a hard worker and he's really grafted and really um, you know latched onto a few of the guys uh, in the midfield and tried to learn off them and and you know practice his craft against them in terms of Bont and and Dunks and a few other guys. So um, it's been great to see him apply himself over the over the number of years and it's great to see him get his chance. So I suppose what you can see from him. Um, you know he's a he's a hard in and under under player. Um, he's a real a real team player, so he'll do lots of the lots of the blocking smothers. Um, you know he's a great teammate, um, which we see in his VFL performances. So yeah, wrapped to wrapped to run out there with him. The Bulldogs have made a lot of people play their first games this season. Lots of debuts. Is this something with the? We'll talk about this a little bit later. With the compressed schedule coming up, we're just going to see more of this rotation from the team of players getting sort of spot appearances and really you know, developing them and getting that, um, I guess, AFL level consistency over the course of the season. This is the fifth new play the Bulldogs have uh, played this season. Yeah, I think, mate. Without a doubt, you'll we'll see um, there'll be an opportunity for almost uh, everyone on the list and across the across the AFL with uh, opportunities coming off the back of multiple five to four day breaks. Um, we've never done this before, so um, it's obviously a huge curveball and a huge challenge for um, not only the players but for the for the medical staff and the fitness staff to, um, I suppose, you know attack it the best way that they can. I'm sure teams will have different um, 
different philosophies which they they go into it but um it'll definitely lend itself to giving opportunities for for guys to play their first game and um you know for for us to get a look and see how those how those boys go now, amazingly, you are the third oldest player on the Western Bulldogs list. I don't mean to, to, to rub that in by, by any stretch. And a couple of weeks oh, ago. Mate. I, <laughs> no, I get reminded constantly. Getting called fossil. I was getting called fossil two years ago. I was only I, 28. I'm only 30 now. I still feel old. <laughs> against Carlton, you were the most experienced player out on the field, which was mind-boggling, considering you know, yep. that, that you are not an old player by AFL standards. But you talked about <laughs> the compressed AFL schedule. Does that mean you're going to be part of a, a resting protocol coming? up here off the four-day breaks? No, we haven't spoken about arresting protocol in terms of managing load. I think the way that we're attacking, um, I suppose that conundrum is changing the training loads. So um, with that compressed schedule, we'll have obviously much less in terms of our, our main session. So normally the way that it works in a six or seven-day break week, we'll normally have our main session and you know clock up between six to eight Ks, depending on whether or not it's a... Um, a shorter break or a longer break. So I think they're going to really take most of the sting out of that. Um, we'll do a much more, um, you know, tempered session than that, particularly on a four-day break. We probably won't even have – it'll just be recovery, um, maybe a little run around and then get ready and, and go again. It'll more lend itself to the way the NBA sort of sort of goes in having a, you know, a shoot around and then just, just play. So it's going to be certainly interesting. It's going to be a challenge, particularly – um, with the amount of contact we have in the game. So you'll pick up those bumps and bruises and just a matter of how you can um, recover as quick as you can from them and get up to as close to 100% as you can. Let's talk about some of the on-field stuff. Now, we, we know that there's been so much talk in the game about how teams are, are really trying to protect the ball because you know, turnover hurts so much going the other way. Now, when you've got the ball down in, that, in the back line, how do you weigh up you know, risk versus reward when you've got the ball where they're you know, going boundary side or trying to get it back into the corridor is there a specific direction that that beverage gives you there or is it more like because i see it i obviously watch all of the bulldogs games that when players like caleb daniel get the ball he has no hesitancy in just flicking it straight into the middle coming out of defense is there certain players that have direction to do that yeah how do you how do you weigh up that risk versus reward well we've all got that license to be able to take the game on um but you'll see particularly people like caleb and, and even jj and and Bailey Williams and a few others, um, guys play to their strengths and and their strengths are their kicking and their ability to take the ball off the line and, and run with ball in hand. So um, I do have that licence, but maybe I don't have the skill <laughs> to be able to pull, certainly not pull off what the stuff Caleb's doing on his left and right foot. Um, it's amazing the way uh, yeah he kicks under pressure. It's, it's, it's incredible. So... Um, we all have that license, but I mean, we're all told to to back ourselves and play to the best, you know, bring out our strengths and make them make them weapons. So um, I have strengths in other areas, so I try and try and bring them out. Um, but yeah, I'll always try and join in on uh, on offense, but I'll leave some of the more daring stuff to to Caleb and those boys. Now I've already had one crack at you about how old you are, but. On 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 fr- going again? Yeah, no, no, no that's some, something something different, something different. Because on Friday night, watching the game, late in the game, uh, I think it was Bruce McAvaney commented, "Oh, yeah, Eastern Woods only had the the five disposals." That's that is a low amount, but people will often look when they're looking at how players go. And they go, oh, "Who had the most disposals?" And they go, "Oh, Eastern Wood had five disposals. Zane Cordy had five disposals in that game. They didn't get much of the ball." But in terms of how that is perceived 
in-house and how you are you give that feedback from the club in terms of you know completing the task at hand what do you think the biggest discrepancy is versus outside opinions on performance versus what you're told to do and how that gets related to you well our game's measured um you know individually on on your output not necessarily and we never get reviewed on our disposals ever that's okay. never mentioned by by coaches it's not mentioned by by players i'm sure like there's no doubt that as a player um you're obviously happier in terms of you reviewing a game because the public and everybody reviews it and says, "Oh, you've, you've had it. You've had a heap. Then you must have played well." Well, you can have a heap of it and not play well in terms of what you've we've done with the ball. So, I look at my game. I look at the way that I impact the ball in the air and on the ground, and that's not necessarily with disposal. That might just be a spoil, changing um, changing the direction of the ball, or being able to put pressure on the opposition and take away. Um, you know, their access to the marks with inside 50, whether it's um, in the corridor and that kind of thing. You know, trying to, if your opponent's going to get the ball, try and get it close to them to get it, give them up in the non-risk areas near the boundary and that kind of thing. Um, and whether you can control, um, you know, opposition forward line and take away what they want. So as a as an opposition backline, sorry, as a, as a backline, we did that on Friday night. So when we review the game, um, despite only having five disposals, and you mentioned Zane having five disposals as well, you know we've played we've played well because we've played to the structure. Um, we've, as a backline, comprehensively beaten the Essendon forwards, so it's a big tick from us. We've talked about the the compressed schedule coming up, and one of the things in getting that ticked off was the AFLPA and the AFL negotiating the contract freeze that was uh, in place earlier in the season. Now you're a part of the AFLPA board. You are out of contract uh-huh. at the end of this year. Um, yeah, how important was that to you personally and to the playing group to get that sorted? And uh, yeah, where does this leave you now in terms of contract negotiations? Well, it was important for um, you know for the players in terms of this is such an uncertain time as yep. we as we all know how uncertain this is. So the AFL to put the freeze in place in the first place was didn't go down so well and I mean um, it wasn't really understood we didn't think it needed to be there I mean we understand that um, you know the game might look different in the next year or the or the year after but there's already contracts in place for those years so why what difference does it make we're gonna have to make the same um, I suppose concessions uh, whether you're signing a new deal compared to what the guys have already agreed to so that was frustrating but it was great to have that lifted um, you know, unfortunately, that doesn't help all the players. Um, it'll probably only help a, a select few. Um, but in terms of my own personal position, um, you know, we've, we were negotiating before the freeze started. So um, with that lifted now, um, you know, I'm hoping to get something something locked away. Um, locked away soon because uh, there's nowhere else I nowhere else I want to be. Well, I'm sure that there's a, there's no Bulldogs fans that want you to be uh, to be leaving either. <laughs> now, the last question I've got for you here, Ethan. Of course, you guys up on the the Gold Coast, you've taken your wife and your young daughter uh, up there with you. How does a day in the life up in a hub differ to what your normal day would be down here, you know, attending training and doing your normal stuff? But what's the difference there in terms of living up on the hub or and living back in your you know, your regular house? Yeah, well, um, I suppose the, the the big difference is that we're we're all we're all here together. So, getting up and, and making breakfast, we don't do that. We get up and go and have breakfast with the the entire team. So, 
um, and that's for that's for every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're all we're all together. Um, so that's been a real positive in terms of interaction and socialization for all of us, but particularly my young daughter Matilda. Um, it's great for her to be able to spend time uh, with the other families and kids that are here and, and interact and, and play with them. Um, on the flip side, uh, ha- having done that for you know, two and a bit weeks now, we do have to find that balance of where we get um, our own space because it can feel, you know, it is a work environment here. My, my wife has pointed that out that, um, yeah, it can feel as if, you know, she's going into our work a lot. Um, so trying to get her space and get Matilda her own space um, for that self-care element has been important and obviously it was a real challenge, particularly in the quarantine period where you just couldn't couldn't leave. So in the last couple of days, we've been able to uh, get a hire car and be able to, you know, go out of the of the hub at least. So that's, um, you know, been enjoyable to get that, you know, small amount of freedom, but we're still unable to go and sit on a beach or, or visit family. I've got my brother up here in Brisbane, but we're not allowed to um, go to his house and he's not allowed to come into the hub. So we can catch up and go for a walk somewhere, but we're just trying to work through how we can how we can kind of do that. All right, that's uh, that's awesome. Thank you for, for letting us know, you know what how things are, are going up there and thank you for coming on Locked On AFL Eastern and good luck, uh, well, by the time people listen to this, good luck tonight against the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah, thanks a lot, Josh. Appreciate it, mate. All right, so the second player interview we've had on the podcast i thought that was really interesting i thought you did a great job obviously easton's been around <laughs> he's been around the blocks for a while now he obviously very well spoken but uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that chat i think it was interesting to hear him talk about uh, something that we we talk about in terms of turnover and uh, protecting mm-hmm. the ball and you, you can see it i guess when the bulldogs play is that you, they are constantly lauded for being an interesting or a fun team to watch versus some of these other teams that go so slow and Easton talking about well we've all got license to, to do that and to take it on and they'd rather us make a mistake being aggressive than you know protect something being passive and I think that was interesting to, to hear that and the the different skill sets that, that players have and being able to you know, play to those strengths and being really encouraged to do that was an interesting insight I think of, of how, how they do that and how they can get judged on their performance. Yeah, I thought he was a little bit modest, though, wasn't he? I mean, his, his, foot, his foot skills aren't that bad. But uh, no, it's probably enough doggies for today. I have to give you credit. You didn't get too excited during that interview. You didn't <laughs> ask him if you think you're going to win the flag. I, I thought you did a great job. So uh, we got some positive feedback a couple of weeks ago from the interview with Dan Butler. So this is something we'll try and do uh, from time to time, keeping in mind that obviously over the next few weeks, uh, teams are going to be pretty flat out. Let's just say that, as we do always. On a Thursday, though, we want to look forward to the Friday night game, grand final rematch. Uh, my fingers are crossed that this game is a little bit closer than the grand final, but GWS versus Richmond. Richmond still heavily, heavily, heavily undermanned, but the Giants uh, kind of really need a win. Yeah, because we, we've talked about them a lot and, and where they're sitting on the ladder, and we've talked about their in a or not even the the efficiency going forward, but inefficiency in every other area of the ground that it yeah. doesn't enable them to go forward, and how bad that looks when they when they don't actually convert on those minimal forward fifty entries, and and how's that going to go against this Richmond backline uh, when they can go in there and force turnovers, and if they don't get if they don't allow you to get to the right spots then how is this going to work for GWS? Because they go backwards, they stall, they have slow entries, and often they find the right option. But when they don't, it, it really gets ugly. Yeah, and we look at the injury list. So this is a question I have for you. If I'd have asked you at the start of the season if GWS were playing Richmond, and admittedly, the Giants are missing. Zach Williams He's obviously a key player for them. Callum Ward as well. There's a couple of guys that they're missing. But Richmond, 
without or David Asprey is a question mark. Maybe he'll play, but Asprey, Josh Caddy, Trent Cotchin, Shane Edwards, Basha Hawley, Toby Nankervis, and Dion Prestier. If I said the Giants had Richmond in the middle of the season with all those Richmond players gone, you would probably just mark that down as an easy GWS win. But I, <laughs> I am not. I'm not convinced at the moment. The Richmond, Richmond, despite having uh, all those injuries and all those guys outside the team, the last two weeks seem to have found their hunger again, and it started with the pressure. The two guys I'm looking for in this game, though, the big forwards, Tom Lynch and Jack Rewalt, because we look at, we, we've spent so much time talking about GWS and the fact that they're not getting the ball inside 50, but teams are getting it in against them. And I think it's a really great opportunity for those two key forwards. The Giants have not won an inside 50 count this year. We know that. But over the last few weeks, it started to get really ugly. In round four, uh, sorry, round three, they were minus 15. Round four, minus 11. Round five, minus 12. Round six, minus 18. And last week, the Giants against Brisbane, minus 22 in inside 50s on the season. They're averaging 13 less than their opposition. So 13 fewer than their opposition. So Rewalt and Lynch for mine. They're down on their career averages in uh, goals, goal assists, marks inside 50s. We know it's a shorter game. Those stats are skewed a little bit. But I, I just think that these two, we know Lynch has been dealing with the sore hand. But for Rewalt and Lynch, this could be the night that they get a hold of him because Rewalt hasn't kicked multiple goals since round one against Carlton back in March. And Tom Lynch has uh, been pretty quiet the last couple of weeks. Maybe he's got an excuse. But I, I think this is a great opportunity for those two. Yeah, look, it, it's gonna it's gonna be some, something to watch yeah, specifically in terms of just getting that volume of ball in, and we've talked about that so much with this team. I, I'm interested to see how these uh, these Richmond defenders or all these guys replacing these players, like replacing guys like Basha Huli. We saw uh, last week um, Derek Egmelesi Smith get 23 disposals. <laughs> it's great. It's just yeah. Big, big rebound, 50 numbers. Guys like Jack Graham with uh, 31 pressure acts and 13 defensive half pressure acts, which was third in the entire league for for the round. So really putting that pressure on defensively. Um, guys like uh, Bolton yeah, stepping up, almost 500 meters gained as well. Yeah, getting And he, he struggled early this season, but some of these guys getting that opportunity and, and really stepping up. And that's what you love to see from a team. So you can get down on yourself. And things can look pretty rough, like it has for North Melbourne and Sydney at times this year with injuries. But with Richmond, it's been the opposite. These other guys stepping into these roles. You go, well, that's really exciting. Like, I didn't expect to see Egmelesi Smith put up huge numbers or you know, Bolton be this massive impact guy the way he was or Jaden Short get 20 touches and you know, put this pressure on. But it was really, really exciting to see. And uh, the, the Giants, you look at it and you go, you think they probably should win. Again, if you talked about when we look at the start of the season and all these guys out. But I don't know. I'm finding it hard to, to go in that direction here. Yeah, me too. Toby Green will come back in as well for the Giants. Obviously, that's huge for them. Again, though, he's a guy that's going to be deep 50, so you've got to get the ball in. Uh, I, I like Richmond, as you sort of pointed to. I mean, and this is what's always been a feature of their games the last few seasons. They're able to bring guys in in particular. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Igmalizi Smith. I thought he was unbelievable. I actually, at first, I, I was just scrolling through the super coach numbers and I... And it just said Derek Smith, and I was like, Derek Smith? I'm like, who the hell, like, like, who the hell is Derek Smith, and why has he got 100 Supercoach points? But, yeah, he was fantastic. Admittedly, that's against North Melbourne, uh, but we'll see if he can back that up this week uh, against the Giants. I think it's going to be a really fascinating game. I like the Tigers as well. Uh, right now, I just like their system better than I do the Giants. It's as simple as that. If the Giants can somehow figure, <laughs> figure out a way to go, okay, we're going to get the ball. We know they've got the great intercept markers. Nick Haynes, arguably the best in the business. Uh, is he going to be able to take those marks and then the guys take the risk, get the ball 
inside 50 and, and equalize that count a little bit. I just don't think you can expect to win games going at minus 13 inside 50s every single week. It's it's not it's not going to work for you. No, it's a, it's a real dice roll. And I think something we, we've touched on, and this will be the key thing to me, we know Richmond, you're a high-pressure team, you're a high-defensive pressure, high-midfield pressure versus a GWS team that's trying to be so deliberate in getting the ball in that they have... You know, muck around with it through the midfield and stall and go backwards. And if, with that pressure on, is that just going to further exacerbate that problem? I think it might. And I think that could be the deciding factor there. If GWS sticks to that game plan and Richmond pressure them up even more, they're going to be more panicked and less uh, less keen on moving forward with, uh, with rhythm and speed that it's going to actually make things worse for them. Well, the good news is uh, this is our last standard round for a little while here, but... We will have more games to report on tomorrow morning, so we'll get through this Bulldogs and Gold Coast game tonight, and then uh, there's some interesting games. Carlton, North Melbourne, can Carlton bounce back? Because that's a winnable game. So we've seen them challenge in games that people maybe didn't expect they were going to win. How do they go against a lower-ranked team? Obviously, West Coast Collingwood is is really, really interesting. The Pies, again, lose a couple of plays there. And then Melbourne-Brisbane, yeah. great challenge. Really looking forward great to that challenge for the de- Yeah, I mean, it's a great challenge for the Demons. Is that Metricon? So a neutral side, even though it is in Queensland, uh, the Demons know that ground pretty well now. They've been there for a couple of weeks, so we'll see uh, what they can do against the, you know, arguably the form team in the competition. Yeah, that's that's a real interesting one to me because we've seen Melbourne turn it around, and uh, if they can again keep it close or, or be competitive or get the win, it'll be massive for their uh, finals aspirations. But Kane, I think they'll do it today for Locked On AFL. Thank you again for another great show. No, it was fantastic. Great job again with Easton. Really enjoyed that. Thank you, mate. And if you guys enjoyed it, you can go and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And of course, leave us a five-star review. Guys, I'm going to leave you today with a shout-out to Mark Micken.